I've asked Lyndon to read the scripture, partly because it's lengthy, and I want you to, to get it all. If you have a Bible, turn with me firstly to Genesis chapter 25. We're reading from verse 21. I'll give you time to turn up. Genesis, the first book in the Bible, chapter 25, reading from verse 21. And then we'll be turning over the page to Genesis 27 in a moment or two. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be the stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew because I am exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, oh, I'm about to die. Of what use is the birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil and stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. If you turn over to chapter 27, again reading from verse 21. It's lovely to see so many of you with your Bibles in your hands. Well done. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. 
and Isaac smelled the smell of Esau's garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth, the plenty of the grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of my son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. May God bless the reading of his word. During the time it's our privilege to be with you over the next five or six months, I'm doing a series on definitive moments in the lives of the major players of the Old Testament. Last time, you may recall, we dealt with Abraham and today with Isaac. Isaac is a story of finishing well. What does it mean to finish well? Well, I can tell you, it's the most important thing you can ever do. How you live your life is one thing. How you finish is another. And it comes down to this, when it comes time to die, and you are going to die, you may say, well, I'm young, I don't have to worry about that. Listen, now is the time to prepare to finish well. First of all, you don't know when that time will come. What does it mean then to finish well? It is to know that you're about to pass from this world to the next with minimal regrets and a sense of satisfaction that you did what God wanted you to do on this earth. There is no greater satisfaction in the world than the knowledge that you did what God wanted you to do on this earth. You say, well, what I've done is of no value. Nobody knows about it. My answer is God knows. God knows. And what he knows is what matters. If you went by the life of Isaac himself, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but Isaac, as a person, was probably one of the most lackluster figures of the Old Testament. Someone to be so famous who did almost nothing. Look at his life. He didn't do anything. He built wells. That was it. He built wells. What kind of life is that? And yet, here's a man who finished well. Now, the interesting thing is, that uh, Isaac finished well 
because he did what God wanted him to do in the end, and it went right against his personal wish. Now, you may recall that God gave a promise to Abraham that his seed would be as the sand of the seashore, as the stars of the heaven. And at the time, Abraham had no child. Sarah was old, and it didn't look like this could possibly happen, but Abraham believed it. And God counted it for righteousness. Now, there's something that you might not have picked up in this, that the seed of Abraham would be what it was. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul gives us an insight that it's easy to overlook. Here's what Paul said, Galatians 3, 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Seed. Singular. The scripture does not say, and to seeds. Plural. Meaning many people. But to your seed. Meaning one person who is Christ. So the basic meaning of the word seed, promised to Abraham, refers to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to Isaac himself, some of you may recall that uh, I have used Isaac as my appellation, designation, for the next great move of the Holy Spirit on this earth. I won't go into a lot of detail today. I've done it at other times, and it's not the main thing of today's sermon, but I'll take a minute or two uh, to explain what I mean. Uh, some uh, 20 years ago or more, uh, we had what I think was the first ever Word and Spirit conference in London. It was at Wembley Conference Center. Lyndon Bowring was the chair. Uh, in the chair, uh, Graham Kendrick wrote a hymn for us. A well-known prophetic person and I gave uh, talks. Uh, and uh, on the last evening, I gave a message that, uh, without any doubt, got me into more trouble than any address I've ever given before or since. And the basic idea was this. For 13 years, Abraham sincerely thought that Ishmael was the promised son. Here's what happened. The promise to Abraham wasn't being fulfilled, apparently. Sarah said to Abraham, well, look, we really believe that God gave you that. Maybe it's supposed to be through Hagar, my maidservant. And, and so Abraham slept with Hagar, and Ishmael was born. Male child, Abraham said, well, it's not what we thought, but if this is what God meant, fine. And Abraham adjusted to the fact that it would be Ishmael. And then 13 years later, out of the blue, God says to Abraham, wrong. Ishmael is not the promised son. Sarah will conceive. Isaac is coming. And as the promise concerning Isaac was 100 times greater than the promise concerning Ishmael, so that evening at that Word and Spirit conference, I said that what is coming is greater than anything we've ever seen. But what we have seen, namely the historical Pentecostal charismatic movement, 
is not God's final word. What we've seen up to now is Ishmael. I remember just a day or two before that uh, service, I said to a charismatic leader in London, if you had to choose between whether the charismatic movement is Ishmael or Isaac, which would you say it is? He said, Isaac. What if I were to tell you it is Ishmael? He said, oh, please, don't even think that. I said, well, that's it. What we've had up to now is Ishmael. And I gave that address uh, that night. Uh, Colin Dye was present. And the funny thing is, I didn't know Colin that well. We knew each other a little bit. We had uh, coffee together. And, and, uh, but uh, he was probably the only charismatic leader that night that believed what I said. Because charismatic leaders were so upset with me. How dare you call us Ishmael? And I understood why they would think that. But I just said, what is coming down the road is a hundred times greater than anything we've ever seen. The greatest move of the Holy Spirit, and I call it Isaac. And as I said to you last year, I say it again, I'll be 80 years old in July. I still believe that I will be alive at the beginning of this move. The greatest move of the Spirit since Pentecost, and I believe it will happen in my lifetime. Now, the point is that this is something that Abraham himself at the time wasn't particularly happy about. He, he was happy for it to be Ishmael. And I think there are many Pentecostals and Charismatics want to believe that what they represent is it, God's final word. But I'm saying, no, there's something greater coming. Well, that's not the main thing of my sermon, but I just wanted to throw in Isaac. Now, here's the thing. His name is in the Old Testament again and again and again, and it became a cliche. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But Isaac himself, what he's famous for, he could get no credit for it at all. There's no way that Isaac could boast. Here's the reason I'm famous. I did this. I did that. He hadn't done anything. He was just the son of Abraham. He built wells. Uh, it turns out that when Sarah did conceive, Isaac is born, made him famous. But he can't say, look what I've done. And you know, this is the heart of God's purpose, the heart of the gospel, Every single person who is saved, every single person who will go to heaven can take no credit for their being there. They won't be able to say, here's the reason I'm in heaven. I did this. I did that. I would say to you, if you think that, you're not saved yet. You're still thinking it's what you do. Let me tell you something, and I don't mean to be unfair if you've never heard this before, but the reason you're saved is first because you were chosen from the foundation of the world. God did it. Second thing is that when it came time for you to be born, in your lifetime, God made sure that you came under the sound of the preaching of the gospel. And maybe the first time you heard it, maybe the tenth time. But at one point, the penny dropped, as we say, 
It clicked, and you said yes. And you knew God had saved you. But that was because of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever heard of Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of the 19th century, greatest preacher ever, some would say. Uh, he was recounting how he became a Christian. He thought, how come I to be a Christian? Well, he said, I remember going to this Methodist church in Essex, and uh, I heard the preaching of the gospel, and Holy Spirit arrested me, and Spurgeon said, all at once, the whole thing opened up, that I realized God was at the bottom of it all, and everything was by the sheer grace of God. Well, now, that is the way it was with Isaac. He could take no credit. And when you're in heaven, you'll be aware. You don't deserve to be there. It's what God did. Well, now, how much do you know about this person, Isaac? Well, for one thing, he was not a particularly strong person. Uh, you could call him a weak man. You could call him a passive man. And virtually the whole story of his life revolves around Rebecca, his wife. Well, now God had provided Isaac with an amazing wife and in an amazing manner. Her name was Rebecca. But once she moved into his life, she became the manipulator par excellence. Because Isaac, very passive man, wasn't strong. Now, there was another little tradition. For some reason, don't know why, Sarah was barren, and one day God opened Sarah's womb. Rebecca was barren. And we're told that the Lord asked God to open Rebecca's womb. And when God did, it turned out that there were twin boys in the womb. But the point is, sometimes those who were barren were strategically in that position because what was to be born would be a sovereign vessel. Not only that, Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife, was barren. Later, Joseph was born, and Benjamin from Rachel, but she'd been barren at first. Uh, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, was barren. Elizabeth. The wife of Zechariah was barren, and then she became pregnant and gave birth to John the Baptist. The point is, if when there is a barren womb, and then God answers, often it's because that baby would be strategic and a sovereign vessel in the purpose of God. Now, I happen to believe that we're living in an era that God has strategically closed the womb of the church, speaking generally. I'm not happy about it, but the Christian church is not growing at the moment, almost anywhere in the world. There are pockets of blessing here, granted. But when you look at the whole picture, in Britain... Islam is outgrowing Christianity right, left, and center. In America, Christianity is not growing. In the whole world, generally speaking, it would seem that God has strategically closed the womb of the church. 
I happen to believe we're waiting for Isaac to come as a mature man, and as it is put in Isaiah 54, verse 1, sing, O barren woman, you who were never, who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Because the greatest growth we've ever seen is going to happen. It could happen any day. It could happen while I'm here this year. I'm hoping it will. That's how close I think it is. When overnight you'll see growth in the church like you've never seen in our century or the century before. And Muslims by millions are going to come to Christ and the result it will be a lifting of the blindness on Israel and this movement that I'm calling Isaac is at hand and it's because up to now the womb of the church has been strategically closed waiting for this important day. So there may be somebody here tonight or this afternoon you have been waiting for God to give you a child Tell you something interesting. Uh, our son, he's named after me. He's Robert Tillman uh, II. We call him TR. And TR and Annette were married at Westminster Chapel back in 2000. But for several years, they didn't have any children. In fact, nine years later, uh, they went to Redding, California to be under the ministry of Bill Johnson. Not because they hadn't had any children, but that it just happened that while they were there, the preacher, uh, Paul Manwaring, said publicly, he said, I feel like there's somebody here, you're praying for a child, and I want to pray for you. So if there's any couple here, you're praying for a baby, would you come forward? Well, that wasn't why they were there, but T.R. and Annette looked at each other and said, well, let's go. And so they went forward, and they were prayed for. Annette was pregnant before they left Bethel, and they've given us two grandsons. Now, I'm wondering, I did this in the previous service, never done this before in my life. Could it be, there's a couple here today, you're praying for a baby, baby hasn't come. Maybe there's a couple here, or the wife is here without your husband for some reason, or your husband here, and your wife isn't here. But if you would like me to pray for you right now that you might have a baby, if you don't mind doing it, we had six or eight in the first service. If you'd like to be prayed for, would you just stand up right now? If you're praying for a baby, your couple here, there's one, no one else? Okay, good. Anyone else? Here they are. Here's couples scattered around. There's a couple there. Boy, I, I, you got my attention. I see you. <laughs> okay, anyone else want to get in on it? Never done this in my life till the previous service. And I'd say it's about the same proportion number that's to it. Okay, you ready? Heavenly Father. You who give life to whom you will, at the spiritual level and at the natural level, as you did it for, for Abraham 
and Sarah, for Isaac and Rebekah, for Jacob and Rachel, for Hannah, for Elizabeth, I ask you, Lord, in your goodness and mercy, grant that a pregnancy will come forth among the couples of those standing here in the next few months. I will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Well, God heard Isaac's prayer, and Rebecca became pregnant. But at this point, there's a surprising twist. The Lord spoke to Rebecca, not Isaac, and said, There are twins in your room, two nations, and the older will serve the younger. Now, why did God say it to Rebecca and not Isaac? You tell me. But that's the way it was. And however manipulative Rebecca was down the road, one must sympathize with her. She had been given this clear word from God. And so, it meant that the oldest child would be not the firstborn in the sense of getting the double the inheritance. In ancient Israel, the firstborn was very special in an Israeli family. The firstborn son got double the inheritance. And the first person to be born of the twins was Esau. But then came out Jacob holding on to Esau's heel. And Jacob became known as the one who grasped the heel. We sometimes refer to a person as not a compliment. He's a heel. Well, that was Jacob. He was a deceiver. And yet, why? You tell me. God said to Rebekah, the older will serve the younger. That means Esau will serve Jacob. And it meant that the firstborn in God's sight, would not be the one who would have the inheritance. Now, like it or not, Isaac would prefer Esau, his firstborn. Rebekah preferred Jacob. Esau grew up as a hunter. He loved wild game. And he was born, he was hairy from his birth. Jacob was a mama's boy. And did everything mother wanted to do. Well now, two major events followed after the two boys were grown up. The first was that Jacob tricked Esau into selling his birthright to Jacob. And that's the passage that has been read to us earlier today. Now, at this stage, dear friends, we're going to go very, very deep if you were to examine my ministry in 25 years in London, you'll find that the type of teaching I am about to do now, I did then, but not every Sunday. Only when the text called for it. That's when I would bring this out. Well, the text calls for it today. So I'm going to bring this out. It is arguably the hardest and most difficult teaching in all Holy Scripture. And if you want to know right where you find it immediately is go to Romans chapter 9. 
and verse 11, where Paul refers to Jacob and Esau and says, The children not yet born, neither having done good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. And then are these words, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Those are God's words. Jacob I loved, you can make a case that the word hate means love less, whatever. God said it. Jacob I loved, Esau I love less. Now if you can come up with a way of watering that down, good for you. I've never been able to do it. Because Paul went on to say, as it is written, God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. It will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And so, dear friends, when I say we're going deep, you don't go deeper than this. We're talking about predestination and free will. How do the two come together? Well, in J.I. Packer's book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, he uses a word that some have found very helpful. It's the word antinomy, A-N-T-I-N-O-M-Y. I asked Jim Packer where he got the word. He said, from Immanuel Kant, the philosopher. It's a word that's even used in physics. Two parallel principles that seem irreconcilable, but both equally true. So evangelism, sovereignty of God, pulls apart logically. You can't bring them together. God chose who would be saved from the foundation of the world and says for us to preach the gospel to every creature. You say, well, that doesn't add up. But you already believe in antinomy. You didn't know that's the word, but here it is. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe he was man? Parallel principles, irreconcilable, but both true. What does it mean, Jesus is God? Is he 50% God, 50% man? No, he's 100% God, 100% man. Irreconcilable, but they're both true. You already believe one. So with this. God chose who would be saved and yet commands all men everywhere to repent. Don't try to figure God out. His ways are higher than our ways. And yet, if you were to read from Hebrews chapter 12, you might like to know that the writer of Hebrews puts the entire blame on Esau. Listen to this. Hebrews 12, verse 16. See that no one is sexually immoral or as godless like Esau, who for a single meal sowed his inheritance rights as the eldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Let me cut right to the bottom line. If you are saved... It is by the sheer grace of God, and you can take no credit for it. But if you perish, 
and you are lost. It is owing to your own decision, and you have only yourself to blame. And so if we're saved, it is by the sheer grace of God. If we're lost, it is owing to our own choice. And so right now, anybody in this place can be saved. All you have to do is give up any idea of saving yourself by your good works. Acknowledge that you don't deserve anything. That spirit of entitlement has got to go. That feeling God owes you something, kiss it goodbye. And just go to him on bended knee and say, God, save me. God, save me. And he'll save you. If you reject this and you're eternally lost, I'm sorry. But throughout eternity, you have yourself to blame. All right. You have to make a choice. Now, Jacob tricked his father with the help of Mother Rebecca in a second major episode in the life of Isaac. And that is in obtaining the patriarchal blessing, which is very, very important. Now, the patriarchal blessing, what was that? The most coveted thing you could get. It was the same thing as when God swears an oath to you. If God swears an oath to you, it's done, it's over, no twisting of God's arm to change it, it's done. And then when God swore an oath to Abraham, because Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham knew that his seed would be as the sand of the seashore, as the stars of the heaven. He knew it was over. That's how real the oath is. And so there comes a time when the patriarchal blessing was to be desired. Now, Isaac, an old man, he's blind. And he calls his firstborn Esau and says, Esau, I want you to go to prepare for me my favorite dish, game, venison. And you know how I love it. And I want you to get it, go kill a, a deer, venison, bring it in, cook it, and then I will give you my blessing. Rebecca overheard that. So she says to Jacob, Jacob, quickly, I'm going to fix your father's favorite dish just the way he loves it. And I want you to go in and get your father's blessing. Oh, but says Jacob said, he will know it's not me. Well, Rebecca put goat skins all over him. And this is the way Esau had been born. He was born a hairy man. And now all Isaac need do is to feel him. And so sure enough, in her, her manipulative way, she clothes Jacob with goatskins, fixes her husband's favorite dish, and as soon as he comes in, Isaac says, oh, my son, how, how did you do it so quickly? And he says, well, God was very good to me. <laughs> then said Isaac, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but let me feel you. Ah, it's the smell, and it's the feel, 
of Esau. And so at that moment, Isaac gave the blessing to Jacob. And the blessing ensured that Jacob was set. I mean, you talk about a future and posterity, it was over because the patriarchal blessing had come down right on Jacob. Immediately afterward, here comes Esau with the game that he's killed and he's prepared the food. And Isaac says, who are you? Well, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've come to get your blessing. And immediately, Isaac realizes what just happened. And he says to his firstborn, I've just given my blessing to Jacob. And he will be blessed. It was the hardest moment in the life of Isaac. But it was his finest hour for once. Isaac did something that was right, was so outstanding that when you come to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, which as you Bible scholars know, that's the faith chapter of the Bible, all those did what they did by faith, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, all those great people did what they did by faith. Do you know, famous though Isaac was in the Old Testament by name, when it comes to Hebrews chapter 11, he gets one little tiny mention in verse 20. And you know what it is? By faith, Isaac blessed his sons. Because what Isaac did, he did by faith. And he knew that he had given the blessing to Jacob. Went right against his will. Right against his will. He doesn't try to call it back. He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry. I, it was over. Isaac affirmed what he'd already done because he knew that was what God did. It's very interesting. There's a pattern here. And that pattern might reach down to this very day in this room. The things you wanted most, God said no to. You know, Abraham wanted Ishmael to get the blessing. Sorry, it will be Isaac. Isaac wanted Esau to get the blessing. Sorry, it will be Jacob. Jacob, in the same way, wanted uh, the blessing to be upon, or rather I should say Joseph wanted his father uh, Jacob to bless uh, his firstborn, which would have been Manasseh. And so normally when the patriarch would come, the right hand would be on the firstborn, the left hand on, on the second. And so Joseph brings his two boys, Ephraim, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, and puts them before old Jacob. Here is Manasseh, and here is Ephraim. Just before he gives the blessing, Jacob switches hands like this. And immediately Joseph takes, no, Dad, this is the right, this is the one. No, this will stand. And Jacob blessed Ephraim, went right against what Joseph wanted. 
as much as Jacob loved Joseph, he went against his own wish. And you find that pattern right through Scripture. The way to finish well is to affirm what you know God's in. You may have to go against your own child, for all I know, your closest relative, your closest friend. You may have to give up a lucrative career. The thing you wanted most, God may say, sorry, it's not on. The hardest thing in the world is when we have our hearts set on something and God says, no. How was it then that Isaac finished well? It's because he had to say to Esau, I have blessed Jacob and he will be blessed. Hardest thing he ever had to do. What is it that God is calling you to do? Is something you've got your heart so set on. And God is saying, sorry. Let me tell you how to finish well. And with this I close. Some year or two ago, a lady came up to me after a service. And she's as sincere as she knew how to be. She said, Dr. Kendall, it is so good to meet someone who has finished well. Mm, thank you. I tried to smile. I knew what she meant. I just looked so old she thought I had one foot in the grave. <laughs> but I want to tell you how to finish well. RT's Ten Commandments. I guarantee you, number one, put yourself totally under Scripture. You'll finish well. Two, be accountable to reliable people. Three, be squeaky clean when it comes to finances. Four, maintain sexual purity. Five, come to terms with jealousy when you feel threatened by another person's gift, anointing, or popularity. Six, be willing not to get the credit for what you do. Seven, always keep your word. Eight, live in total forgiveness. Nine, be a thankful person. Ten, maintain a strong personal prayer life. I guarantee you, hold to these ten principles you will finish well. But before I close, I have to ask this question. Do you know for sure, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven, do you? And if you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What would you say? Well, RT, I've, I've done this. I, I've tried to do my very best, and uh, I was baptized, or brought up in a Christian home, or made a decision, and, I, and I'm, I'm just doing my very best. I'm sorry, whoever you, you are, if you think like that, you're not ready. I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But let me tell you how to finish well. You start with this. 
Pray this prayer in your heart. Say it right now in your heart. Don't need to say it out loud. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I know I cannot save myself and my good works won't help me. I welcome your Holy Spirit. As best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Did you pray that prayer? Did you? I think somebody just prayed that prayer. Question, are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? Why do you ask, RT? Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. If you prayed that prayer in just a minute from now, or seconds, I should say, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. You say, in front of all these people? Yep. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. I'm not going to ask you to join this church. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech. But if you prayed that prayer, I want you to stand right now. Where are you? Stand up, wherever you are. You, somebody prayed that prayer. There's one there. Remain standing. There's one else. You prayed that prayer. There's one. Yeah. Don't be ashamed. Stand up. Okay, anyone else? Okay, you stop clapping, but you that are standing, if you really meant it, this is, this is going to test whether you really meant it. I want you to leave your seat and come down to the front. That's all I'm going to ask you to do, because we want to affirm you, give you literature, a Bible if you don't have one, and you that are in the balcony, take an extra minute, but we will wait on you. I can't see who all is in the balcony because of these bright lights, but it looks like we've got a dozen. Well done, you. Now, while you're coming... When I talk about finishing well, the beginning of finishing well is to pray the prayer you just prayed. To maintain this are these principles that I've just given. And Isaac finished well. He went against his own will. The question is, will you finish well? Heavenly Father, I ask you to take this word and apply this word by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.